Fighting for the Underdog, the podcast that follows the tales of compassion and bravery of animal rights activists all over the world. My name is Hannah Grant, and I'm the Administrative Assistant and Social Outreach Director at the Animal Law Firm. I will be taking over as a guest host for our lead attorney and founder, Christina Bergson, in order to create more content for our lovely viewers. As I interviewed these amazing people, I was truly inspired by the common theme of hope that they give to underdogs everywhere. They taught me that sometimes the greatest power an underdog possesses is never giving up hope. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Today, we have Gwen Bale, owner of Camden County Chickens and Therapy Hens in South Jersey. Camden County Chickens was originally created to advocate for laws allowing the public to raise chickens, and it has now expanded to include consulting, therapy chickens, education, husbandry classes, and other support. So thanks for being our guest today, Gwen. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Of course. Well, we can just dive right in then. Can you tell us more about Camden County Chickens and what you do? Uh, well, uh, it all started when I decided I would like to have chickens in my backyard and found out that it was illegal in my town. I live in South Jersey, about 10 minutes from the bridge to Philadelphia, and um, all kinds of barnyard animals, as they called them, were illegal. Um, I kind of got into the whole thing because my husband and I used to cook a lot or do still cook a lot. And we used to watch Martha Stewart and she started bringing in really neat chickens into her studio. And it was, yeah, this is pretty cool. And I really don't have to have a farm and thousands of chickens and I just want four. So let's see about this. And um, found out right away that it was illegal and uh, decided to change it. So in the course of all that, I decided that if I was going to be out um, sitting at a table at an event, talking about chickens, I didn't want it to just be my own town. So because I am in Camden County, I decided I would just call myself essentially Camden County Chickens and Therapy Hens. And um, therefore, people that from other towns that were interested could talk with me as well and uh, kind of join the journey into finding out about what's legal and what's not legal. So that's how it kind of came to be. So it's not really, I would say, an organization. We don't have meetings. And we the only person I have, I do have a vice chair, Jacqueline Ritchie. And um, so she's involved a lot more recently, which we'll get into. Uh, but beyond that, it's kind of a title so that people know how to find me and uh, can ask questions and, and that kind of thing. Um, the other reason of doing it was also to have, besides a website, um, to have a couple Facebook pages. So for the same reason that people could find me and I could post when I was going to teach a class or um, have an event or whatever, uh, so that if they wanted to take part, that they could easily find me to do that. So that really is what it's all about. Um, as for services, as again, I started out with um, figuring out how to change laws. And I'm a retired nurse. I was a nurse for 40 years. Um, the last 28 years, I was a certified nurse midwife. I've delivered over 2,000 babies in the hospital in my career. And I retired in 2009. And uh, so it was kind of finding out that it was illegal um, was a little difficult for me to handle in the beginning because I was still working. I was on call pretty much all the time for patients who wanted me to deliver their babies and as well as doing office hours. So I really had to 
wait until I retired. So the whole process, even though I knew I wanted to do it for a few years before, um, took till 2010, which was when I really started getting into it and um, figuring out how to approach counsel and, and, and do all that because I'm not an attorney. I'm a standard, normal, grassroots person who happened to be a nurse, uh, felt very comfortable speaking in front of people, teaching classes, because I had taught childbirth classes for years. So that's kind of what happened with that. So um, currently, uh, we are still working and helping other towns. And I'm thrilled to say that I've been successful now in helping in some sort of way, um, 32 different towns, mostly in South Jersey, a couple in North Jersey and in Monmouth County, and a couple across the river outside of Philadelphia, uh, but 32 towns. And I'm currently working with another four or five at this point uh, to give them some guidelines and uh, in various ways uh, show up when I can. Of course, um, the, the pandemic put a, a, a hassle with that. I mean, a lot of council meetings were online. The good part about that was I could go to council meetings, even though they were two hours away, uh, which I really can't do uh, now that everything pretty much is in person. Uh, but it did give me a lot more opportunity to interact with people from a further distance that um, that I felt that I was able to to actually uh, take care of for them. Um, so my biggest thrust is that is helping people, giving them some um, handouts. I taught a class um, both online uh, and that's still available as well as in person at the um, Burlington County next to us. Um, Agricultural Center. Um, I've taught a class in person there on changing laws and uh, just kind of being a resource um, for um, anybody that's interested. Absolutely. Well, clearly you've had a large impact on so many people and I'm sure it's inspiring for them to see that you are just on your own. You started this process and on our um, more grassroots than larger organizations. So what was the process actually like for changing the laws to allow owning chickens? Well, like you say, they were totally banned. And I mean, there's different laws, of course, in different cities and around. Um, first of all, my town is about 15,000 residents, typical suburb. Uh, and um, it just said that them it listed all the other types of farm animals were illegal. So the first thing I started doing was approach my green team and see whether they were interested. And they were kind of half-hearted about it. Um, a couple people were kind of kind of interested, um, kind of didn't really want to do the work. And I guess maybe for approximately eight to 10 months or so, we kind of tried to do, you know, I tried to get some help that way. Um, but in the meantime, I knew nothing about chickens. I hadn't um, one relative years and years and years ago. I probably was about 10. I remember they had some chickens in the yard. And that was the closest I've ever come to backyard chickens. Um, but I've been in sustainability. I'm very, very active in the green team of the town next to me. Our town does no longer have a green team. And um, so that's always where my heart's been. I was a master gardener, um, do everything organically, uh, 
pollinators, uh, ran a pollinator uh, monarch project for the horticulture society that I belong to. So my heart was in the whole thing, but I needed to have more education. So I started looking up um, classes that I could take um, besides reading a bunch of books, uh, because I knew if I was going to council, they were going to be asking me questions. And one, I never want to look like I don't know what I'm talking about. And two, I really needed to be able to answer their questions pretty much regardless of what it would be. So I came across um, a set of classes and currently last time I checked, and I admit was a couple months ago, um, they had stopped and they were talking about resuming, but um, they were called Chickens and You and um, through the Gossamer Foundation um, online, very expensive, a couple hundred hours or so for, for a class. Um, webinars prior to the use of Zoom. And most of the classes, we might have 12 people in and we're talking hour to an hour and a half. And depending on the type of class, it could be six, eight weeks, give or take. So I thought, well, let me check that out. So I took the basic class. Uh, then I took a couple extras like summer care of backyard chickens and winter care. And that's where I found out about therapy hens. I had no idea that there were therapy chickens. And um, that was a second level class. So I had to take the entire basic class first, uh, which I think the basic, if I remember, was eight to 10 weeks long. Um, but I really wanted to have that information. And then it really got me going that, um, you know, I really, really wanted to um, to get into the whole therapy chicken thing, which um, is another whole deal. So um, after I started taking some classes, I did go to council um, and stood up and told them all the reasons why I thought that we should change the law um, to allow backyard hens. Um, we had ideas about what I wanted to have in the law and uh, pretty much I'm just plowing away. I mean, you know, I had never no legal background at all. I mean, I've taken I thought for a, a while way back that I might become an attorney. So I had taken some political science classes at Rutgers, but that changed my mind that that wasn't really what I wanted to do. So it was just kind of getting familiar. And I guess one of the best parts in my town is there was a mayor and two commissioners and that's it. It's much, much more difficult when you're approaching councils where there's 10 or 12 people. Um, I've learned that. I've learned a lot about all the different types of councils and, and some call them committees um, around here. Um, and I went and I would go to every single council meeting and just, you know, hey, what do you think? You know, can I give you more information? I would try to give them some things, not overwhelm them. And initially, my mayor, and I really, really like my mayor, and it turns out he lives kind of catty corner across the street from me, but he didn't even know who I was, and I didn't know that that was the mayor there at the time. And um, so he decided that he would send it to the Environmental Commission first for the Environmental Commission to check it out. So I went to a couple Environmental Commission meetings, and then there was an opening, so I got appointed to the Environmental Commission. And they kept the whole concept for a year, uh, checking it out. Every time we had a meeting, they were ones coming up. Well, what do you think about this? Well, what about runoff? Well, is this going to cause problems? You know, looking for, at it from an environmental standpoint. And after the year, um, it really, uh, they 
decided that there were no negative environmental impacts, which of course I could have told them a year prior to that, uh, <laughs> but they wrote up a, a report and presented it to the mayor, essentially supporting the concept of changing the law to allow a few backyard hens. Well, that and all the while that was going on, I was still going to council meetings. And um, at one point along the way, uh, one of the other people on the environmental commission said, you know, I think you'd really do better if it's not just you. And it was that was really what was happening. I was going to council and I was trying to show up at town events and whatever, usually under the green team and have information about the chicken project and whatnot. But then I said, you know, you're right. And he, his whole thing was, they're not going to change the law for one person. And I think that's a really key point. We all think all we have to do is one person can go and they're going to have all this influence. And, you know, that's not where how it is. It costs a lot of money for towns to change ordinances. So they want to know that you're not the only one out there. So I really started um, sitting at our farmer's market every single week. Um, trying to get signatures, trying to see if people were interested and came up, I guess, with maybe about 12 residents that were willing to give me a hand. And we started trying to work together to well, divide up all the towns in our county. And can you check the laws for five of them? That kind of thing. And um, it was really, really helpful because he got to realize that I wasn't the only one who wanted to do this. Um, but after that year, he decided, the mayor decided, he wanted to send it to the Planning and Zoning Board for their opinion. And uh, that was even worse. <laughs> um, I really believe in the long run, they just figured they'd wear me down and she would stop showing up and that would be the end of it. Um, they don't know me. They didn't know me very well. They do now that that wasn't going to detract from me um, getting in there and doing something. So every single planning and zoning meeting, a couple of the people from my group and I would go. And it was even worse because really they wanted nothing to do with this at all. They started trying to find some kind of experts, predominantly like real estate people uh, that didn't know what they what the heck they were talking about. And if I when I showed them the literature that said that having backyard hens actually increases the value of homes um, and not detracts from it, um, whatever, it just they had it a year or two. And what they did and we didn't know they were doing it was the same thing we did. They decided to look at all the towns in our county and come back and say, only one or two, whatever it was, allow chickens, and therefore we don't need to do this. Instead of being progressive and saying, well, why don't we do this? Why don't we do something new, something different, um, and make a law that's relevant, that's good for sustainability, good for neighbors, good for the chickens, and not just something that was done 50 years ago and said, yes, if you had five acres, you could have chickens. Um, and they reported, but they took a vote and we lost um, six to one, I believe, or seven to one. And that was the information that went back to council. Um, and the, what was really fantastic at that point. So now this is two more years that went by with all this stuff. Meanwhile, I'm taking more classes and the whole nine yards. And what never had happened before from all the research that I did 
is my council decided to overrule the planning and zoning board because I had given them good literature to look at, didn't overwhelm them with literature, but ones that really showed that we could be at the forefront of this and that this was really something that we could handle and would have a good impact um, on the environment. And they decided to not pay the attention to what the planning board did. They did give them a little bit of input when it came to size of coop and run initially, uh, which was a little smaller than we liked, but we managed after five years of getting a pilot program. Um, initially, I was very um, concerned about a pilot program because what I tried to see, well, if everybody does it right, but one person can't, we still have the program. And it was, nope, you can't be picky choosy. If we have a pilot program and it's not su successful, you're going to have to give up your chickens. And I was really upset about that whole concept because I knew as much as I'm into pets and whatever, that I would fall in love with my chickens and it would be devastating. And by the way, I am 75. I turned 75 two weeks ago. So, you know, we're talking by then, you know, I'm going to be 60 something or other when I was getting chickens for the very first time. So, um, but one of the things that kind of enthralled me was my mayor had a really great idea and I've managed to get the idea passed a few other times, I would say probably 60% of the time. Um, and that is that the residents are comprise a backyard chicken advisory board and we run the program. And therefore I felt as a nurse who had done oodles of education um, that we would be able to educate people um, to, if there was a problem, if we would be running the program. We couldn't um, give them a summons if they weren't doing it right, but we could certainly educate them if there was a problem. And it wouldn't be someone from the town, like the town enforcement officer, going out to take care of complaints. And that was a big deal because they don't, they don't know anything. And I even invited our town enforcement officer when our program was passed initially. And she said, nope, that's on you. And, you know, but meanwhile, in other towns, that's who runs everything. So I could just see that this could be a real issue. So that was his idea. And it also was a way of saving the town money. And we all know towns need to save money. So he didn't want to have to have the enforcement person go out and check the property or follow up on complaints. He was willing to give it to me as well as my board. So at the time, we then came up with five members of the community that um, were on the chicken board, and we were all chicken people. And then we had some comments that said, oh, well, you're going to be too lenient. And I said, no, you don't know us. We're too committed to having chickens. If somebody's a really rotten apple in this barrel, we're getting rid of them because we don't want anything to happen to our program. So, but the point was that we could go out Say, for example, somebody got reported because their coop smelled bad, which is re kind of ridiculous. It doesn't take much to keep things pretty clean when you have four, five, six chickens. Uh, but we would go out and not just say, yep, it's you have two weeks to fix it. We would be saying, you know, well, what kind of filler are you using? What kind of disinfectant? How often are you cleaning it? Why don't you try this? Why don't you try that? We're educating because that's my background. This is where I come from. 
And therefore, that's what we did. We got that passed. And the other thing that I thought was super important and is even higher, I would say 75-ish percent of the time, they do require a class in order for someone to get a license in other towns and not just ours. And taking the class, I think, is really, really, really important because it does weed out people when they realize the responsibilities. It's not hard to have chickens, but it's not something that your grandparents can just tell you everything because most people's grandparents don't have chickens. It's a whole different deal than having a dog and cat. And you do need to have the basics, how to keep them safe, um, predator proofing your coop, how not to get a rooster. And that's a big thing because obviously I would think most people hearing this would realize that you don't need to have a rooster for breakfast eggs. You only need to have a rooster if you want fertilized eggs to have more chickens. But roosters are really loud. And in the suburbs, we're talking suburbs here. We're not talking small farms. We're talking normal sized backyards. They're too yard, too loud and the neighbors are not gonna be happy about that. So how do you not get a rooster? So it's everything from winter care, summer care, how to pick chickens and how not to get roosters and whatever. And every town that has that, well, first of all, every town that started out with a pilot program has been successful and turned into an ordinance because we're doing it right. So that's kind of where it was. So we wound up at five years in that we got a one-year pilot. Um, I learned from that that we should usually have a two-year pilot because it takes a little time to get things up and running. And um, if you just had a pilot for a year, you really wouldn't have a whole lot of, of um, momentum going and being able to show the town that, yes, it's successful. So most towns have a two-year pilot if they have a pilot. And as I said, the pilots are all successful. When we were heading into our second year of the pilot, of course, we thought we would be getting an ordinance, but we still had those few things that the planning zoning board gave us with small sizes, four hens, blah, blah. And we decided that this would be a good time to change that, to have, be able to have a bigger coop. And we can have up to eight hens here. So therefore, you had to have a bigger coop. And the mayor agreed and said, I just want you to have the third year pilot because we had an awful lot of people in the town prior that were totally anti-chicken. They knew nothing about chickens and didn't want this. And he said, I just want to make sure that they can see that having eight at the most hens was not going to be an issue. So he said, I'll give you everything you want for changing the height and all that if you'll do the third year. So we were pretty much, there's one other town and it was because the politics changed in the town that they still have pilot when it's now almost four years for no reason other than the one political party didn't want to acknowledge the other political party had a successful program. So they've just dragged it on, but that's another story. But anyway, so we said, sure. So we actually had a three-year pilot. And then in 2018, we got a permanent ordinance and that's how the whole process went. Um, some towns, we've been very fortunate because, you know, we serve kind of as the gold standard and managed to have a law changed in about three months. Other towns we're still working on and it's been over a year. So a lot of it is just convincing people that, you know, all the towns can do this. 
Um, we've we've covered towns, bigger towns than mine. We've covered towns with only four or five thousand people, towns that have already have some farms when they realize we're not going to talk about the farms because they're doing it according to the Right to Farm Act and they're doing it fine. They don't have to take a class in raising chickens when they have 10,000 chickens. Um, is This is all the suburbs. When we convinced the town we're only dealing with the backyards, we were able to be successful. Um, so it's working and um, and we're very proud of that. Wow. Well, what an incredible journey. I cannot believe the amount of work that you put in is just amazing. And do you think that that is why so many people are intimidated by this process just because it is it is a long process? Well, yeah, I think it, it, it really depends. So much depends on the council. And I mean, you know, I've come up with a couple handouts that I give out. And first thing I do is I say, don't even go to council and talk about it. Just go to a few council meetings and sit there. Find out, you know, and I'm not saying one party versus the other. We've had as much success across both main parties. It's just the fact of see how they work. Is it a case where every single vote, they all vote the same way? Or are there people that actually don't agree and they'll vote different? And that's really interesting on how that all works out. Um, but what still gets me, and it, and it really does get get me a lot, is that a town would think they're so different than the 32 towns that changed their law. If I was a resident of that town, I would be so ticked off. Like, what are you saying? I can't do it when 32 towns around here have had successful programs. That doesn't make sense to me. You know, maybe when we were down to two or three towns, you could be saying, well, our town's a lot bigger or our town's wealthier. I mean, we have two of the wealthiest towns in our area that have passed laws um, to allow backyard chickens. But, you know, that whole idea that our residents just can't do this. This is this is not going to work. That just totally blows my mind. Absolutely. So do you think that the process will get easier as more towns are able to pass this? Um, I would like to hope that, um, but if that was really the case, we wouldn't be having these couple of towns I'm still working with that's dragging on. And, you know, there, there's one town that's adjacent to us that I, this was pre-pandemic now, after we got our, we and we're very similar, the, um, education line, financial line, cost of housing line, we're almost identical in size and everything that you could possibly have in demographics. And I went to council meeting for a year with their group and they had a really nice, probably about the same as us, eight or 10 people that were very interested. And essentially it was a NIMBY thing, not in my backyard. And they had only had three, two. They had a mayor and two commissioners, just like us. And the mayor said, when I bought my house, I never thought I'd have chickens next door. And they never changed their mind. And the whole thing was we'd even be leaving. And then this other town next to us on the other side, Haddonfield, which is a very exclusive town, if anybody's ever heard of that. Um, very exclusive, really neat, goes all the way back to the Quakers and very high housing values, as well as small, um, some small row homes included. Um, and they, he actually said, well, when Haddonfield changes their law, we'll think about it. Well, we changed Haddonfield's law two years ago, and he still hasn't done anything because his cop-out was, I'll think about it. 
He didn't say if Haddonfield does it, we'll do it. So I really don't think that that town will ever change as long as he's mayor. And he's been mayor for like 30 years. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, he's changed commissioners a couple times, but, you know, and they all vote alike. Whatever he says, the other two vote. And I mean, I've been there, done that. I've been sat in front of those people and commented many, 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 many times. And that was the answer. So I don't know that it's going to get a lot easier. I would hope. But, you know, in reality, it's it's just in a sense, it's like the whole division in Washington. I mean, it's like people just are so they have goggles on or, you know, they, they're just blindsided to what is working around and why this works. And, you know, so, I mean, I'd like to be optimistic, but I don't know how fast things are going to change in these other towns. Mm -hmm. So what does your consulting process look like for other towns that want to change the law? Um, Well, normally they contact me. Um, Certainly um, you're able to give them my email address, which is G-B-A-I-L-E at verizon.net. That's the best way. Um, or if they're on Facebook, I'm, I do have a Facebook. I have three Facebook pages, but my regular one, they can message me, but I'll just tell them to email me. Um, and generally, um, they have some options. I do have a class, um, like I said, that I did on Zoom um, on changing laws. And I, only, I charge $15 donation for that, mainly because I have to maintain a professional Zoom account because my regular class is three hours long. So I have to have the access to have um, a longer class when I teach. And I keep the um, keep the class on the cloud so that I can share it. So it costs me a bunch of money every month and I don't make any money from anything else really. So um, I do ask for a donation for that and they can watch the actual class. I have a couple handouts, um, you know, suggestions on how to get your ordinance changed. Like I said, showing up at council and just watching and taking in information, um, trying to get up a group either on Facebook, going to town events, having a table uh, with information Um, all that kind of stuff, seeing if you can get your green team involved. And then I have another one that's more like things to be thinking about to tell council, such as having the class, because it really works. It weeds out the bad apples that don't want to put the time and effort into it. And therefore, if they can't have a certificate to present when they get their application, they're not going to get chickens legally. Um, So that's part of it. And um, and then it really depends. I mean, if it's somebody local uh, and whatever, then I try to still go to council meetings with them. Um, maybe not every single one, um, but I mean, I had a lot of personal injury problems and, and medical problems this year. My husband had brain surgery in May. He's doing pretty well. I had a knee replacement done six weeks ago. So, I mean, there's times where I just can't do something. Um, that I'd like to do. But, you know, at least I can um, give them support. They can, I can give them handouts and anything that they need. And certainly I share a lot of the different um, either ordinances or pilot programs. Um, When you do a pilot program first, there's an ordinance to create the pilot. So there's still, as I said, there's a charge to council anytime they make an ordinance per se. 
So there's an ordinance to create the pilot or extend the pilot, and then there's the final ordinance. So um, I share with the whoever is interested some of the ones that I like the best. I mean, there's ones where um, the town solicitor, that's the town lawyer, has called me to ask me questions, and that's all the input I've had of those 32. And then of other ones where, like I said, I've been to council meetings for a year until it passes. So um, it really depends on what they need and whether it looks like things are moving. I tend to try to be mother hen more if um, they're hitting a lot of resistance um, because I'm just hoping that maybe the fact that I've worked with all these towns and I continue to follow up with them to make sure, you know, are you having any problems? Have you had complaints? You know, that kind of thing. Um, that I can kind of use my reputation, I guess you want to say, as if I had to answer questions of a, another council. And a lot of times they've done that. And it's been very interesting. There was a town in Monmouth County, which is like probably about an hour and a half from me. And they were so interested in, in knowing more that they set up a Zoom meeting for their entire council and me, separate from a real council meeting. And all we did was go back and forth and answer questions and and whatever. And then, of course, they created a wonderful pilot program that is now an ordinance. But that's how committed they were. Um, there was another town recently in the Burlington County right next to us where I guess they had about the mayor and a couple of uh, one or two council people and they have administrators. That's another odd thing to me that are also involved with council and I think their planning board and I to really hash out a few pieces of the um, ordinance that, um, you know, we wanted to make sure was, quote, in my mind, right. Because the way it was written, it was kind of vague and it needed to be fixed. So we had a Zoom meeting just to kind of hash that all out. And of course, that got passed. So it depends. And other ones, it's like, you know, you have five minutes to talk. I'm not going to drive an hour to stand up for five minutes. You know, that's kind of not really worth it. But, you know, we keep working and I would really like to see a um, lot more changes. Um, but I don't know what more proof we have to give than what we already have. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, I will make sure to put all of your contact info in the description in case people are interested in consulting. Um, and then we're going to go ahead and take a little break here. And when we come back, we're going to shift gears a little bit and talk about therapy chickens and education and that side of things, if that sounds good. Sure. Okay, great. We'll be back. Hi, everyone. We're back with Gwen Bale, owner of Camden County Chickens and Therapy Hens. And we're going to shift gears a little bit and start talking about more of the education side of things. And really, I want to know, what is a therapy chicken? Well, I didn't know about that until, as I said, I took my initial couple of classes online and a therapy hen or chicken, I mean, in most cases, they're hens. I did educate one uh, woman uh, a couple years ago before the pandemic who drove down from Rhode Island to New Jersey and brought her rooster with her who um, never saw a rooster that was so calm and so quiet it, to an in-person class. But to my knowledge, almost all therapy chickens are hens. Um, and we do the exact same work as therapy dogs. And I think that that's really the biggest thing because um, as we talk about illegal chickens and all that, 
um, you see on Facebook pages and all that. Well, tell them they're your therapy chickens. And there's a whole different thing there because <laughs> there's really three levels. There, there's the um, emotional support animals, the, the, the actual ones, the other ones that help with um, somebody that's blind or has physical limitations or seizures or whatever. You know, that's one whole category. And then the emotional support animals are really ones that maybe a family with an autistic child that relates real well to um, to hens might have. But we're therapy hens here. So therefore, I have um, currently eight hens and three are therapy hens. And we would go and do the same kind of work as therapy dogs. So we would be in assisted living, uh, memory care, Alzheimer's units, uh, we actually were part of the um, autism program at the Academy of Natural Sciences. So when they opened early, um, about five times a year for families with members on the autistic spectrum, then um, we would be there and we could interact with them and, um, and work with them. We go to special needs schools, special needs classes in regular schools. Um, so essentially the exact same work as therapy dogs. Um, are they my therapy animals? No, if anything, I guess you could maybe say they're my emotional support animals because they always make me feel better when I'm outside with them. Um, but basically that's what they do. Um, every time they quote work, they wear chicken diapers. Um, again, I'm a retired nurse, so I'm very into the whole hygiene and preventing any kind of infection sort of thing. Uh, but they're just phenomenal. Um, people just love them, especially going to assisted living facilities. Uh, I give them the opportunity to hold them um, and I can't get them back. You know, it's like, wait, I really need to take her back because I have about 20 more people that I have to see. Um, but it, they're soft and cuddly and um, the way that they are trained um, they don't peck anyone. They don't really care if it's me holding them or somebody else holding them. Um, they're fine with that. Um, and they're used to traveling and, um, and it's wonderful. So I started, um, I took my class, which was supposed to be six nights, um, like an hour, hour and a half, like I said, with the regular classes. And um, it was our her first class teaching or certifying therapy hence so it actually we extended it it was eight eight weeks long and it involved two exams um and um but as much as i thought it was a great class a lot of it reminded me of tv because it was like well last week we talked about well i don't want to talk again about what we talked about last week i want to talk about new stuff and i wanted to get more into practicality and um, insurance and how to get your foot in the door. So I used a lot of the background stuff with how to prepare the chicken and about diapers. And there's all interesting things about ideally the way to feed them so that you won't have as much of a problem for when you're out and whatever. Um, and I created my own program. So I would guess to this point, I've probably certified about 80-ish um, handlers. Um, I've done a couple live class, in-person classes, which is neat because I can take one of my hens and actually demonstrate how to put the chicken diapers on and that sort of thing. Um, but we did a lot on Zoom too, of course, during the pandemic. Um, and um, it's, it's just been phenomenal. 
unfortunately, um, as of the um, December, last December, I did give up um, taking my hens places because of my husband's problems and what wound up turning into brain surgery. And our, our life right now is fairly stable, but it can change so quick. And I decided that it really was time to try to pass it on. I have a couple people that took my classes that have gone out and and um, and done visits, um, but it's it's not so much the fact that you're gone for an hour. It's the preparation, getting them ready, taking them where. And I would travel up to an hour to go where I was going, um, do my thing, and then come back. So pretty much, it's a half a day or so. And it just isn't fitting into my lifestyle now. So I think the biggest problem is that most people that have taken my class um, are still working full time, full time. Mostly women have taken the class. I have had a couple men take the class, but they're working full time with families. And it's really kind of hard to um, have the time to go visit an assisted living in on a Tuesday morning or something or other. Um, some places are pretty flexible and, and what people can go on weekends, but then again, life is busy for everybody and they need the weekends to catch up. So um, I, I'd be more than happy to turn over my therapy program completely. Diapers, I will give away. I have so many chicken <laughs> diapers for all different occasions. And if I used to take two, if we were doing a um, at a green event or something, and we were going to be at a location for most of the day, I take two hens with me and I'd have matching diapers. So I have more diapers than I'll ever know what to do with. And I'd be more than happy to give them away. Um, so if somebody's going to be willing to use them, but it's great. Now, the other thing that we did, we do a lot of story time. Um, we would go do story time in five counties of New Jersey. Um, and read a couple chicken story books. I um, always, the first time we went to visit, um, I would take a book and donate it, and I would put the footprint of my chicken in it and say donated by Sandy, the therapy hen, um, inside, just to kind of let the word out there that there is such a thing. And then the kids could all come up and pet the chickens because they're not going to peck them and all that sort of stuff. So I kind of miss that. And we also had done the same kind of thing that some dogs do in libraries where the kids could read to the chickens. So they would sit on the floor in front and I'd make sure I was watching the pages they were reading. It's like, oh, there's red on that page. That's the chicken's favorite color. Turn the page around and let her see it, you know, so they could interact and read a couple stories and pet them and all that. So I love the library stuff. I, I really I, I miss it all. I really miss it all. But, you know, life changes and you kind of have to adapt. And um, so right now I'm not doing that, but that's what it's all about. So if somebody is really interested in that, um, also, um, I'd like a $15 donation, but they can look at the, um, the video and, um, and certainly contact me either FaceTiming or whatever with other questions, because I really think that there's... There's such a, um, a a really great need for this. Um, certainly people take dog therapy dogs to places and rabbits and the whole bit, but not very many people take chickens. And um, and yet the residents, it just brightens their day. It, it's you just really, really can see how how happy they are 
when they have visitors like that. And actually one time we were doing a lot of adult daycare places and um, I, I had a referral from somebody I know that um, that knew what we were doing. And they actually did a documentary. We were part of a documentary on domestic animals um, from a crew, a film crew from Croatia. And um, so they met me in Philly. We, we went to Philly quite a bit to doing events. And there was a um, Center City, Philadelphia um, adult uh, daycare program. And they spent over an hour with us um, watching us interact. My one hen could play the little kid's piano. She just bang around at it, but she could hit the notes hard enough that everybody could hear. And so they had that on the film. And of course, it was like the two or three days before the pandemic really hit and they got called back to Croatia and it took forever to even hear back from them. Um, but it never got released. It was supposed to go to Discovery Channel, but I did get to see it, which was pretty cool. And uh, but the pandemic interfered with that. So that was pretty neat. And we've had a lot of newspaper coverage um, and other podcasts. We've had NewJersey.com came to the backyard. Um, one of the oh, actually CBS um, National Online came here, spent five hours in my kitchen. Um, uh, filming what turned out to be about a three-minute uh, feature on um, CBS News Online Edition. That was um, back in March. I think you probably still find that someplace if you looked it up. But um, so, yeah, it's been really, really fun. And the opportunities there, if anybody's interested. Wow, that's incredible. So even though you don't go and do the therapy sessions anymore, would you be willing to train others who are interested in getting started? Sure. Yeah. Um, like I said, they can either take the class online. And then I did do uh, one series or one class in person at the Burlington County Ag Center uh, a few months ago. I'm going to have to decide if I'm going to still continue in-person teaching um, on that. Um, my vice chair, as I mentioned, Jacqueline Ritchie, is now teaching the basic class for me in person. She likes to do in-person classes. Um, and I think there's still a good reason to have them. But, you know, I think things are just still not stable enough here that I don't want to have to cancel everything. And that's what happened when everything you know what hit the fan when my husband started having problems is I had to get contact people and say I can't come I can't come I can't do this I can't visit then we'll see what happens and life can change that fast now that um, I just don't want to have that added stress but no certainly um, that that program is still um, available and and I have educated some handlers from across the country um, because that um, they could take the online class. And I actually lectured for um, Coop Camp, which is a national organization um, in Indianapolis. And the year before the pandemic, I um, did a lecture there on therapy hens. So um, that was really pretty cool too. Okay, great. And then just to clarify, is this curriculum different than your chicken husbandry classes? Yeah, chicken husbandry really is the one I mentioned that's about three hours long. And that's the one that's required. I mean, not particularly my class, 
but I, I have seen some problems, which, um, you know, drives me kind of crazy. Some people, some towns say they have to take a class, but it has to be in person. Well, that was fine before the pandemic. And, you know, and you have to get a certificate to prove you went. So, I mean, there's classes online like Penn State and all that. If somebody doesn't have to have a certificate and they're allowed to do it. But I actually had somebody that drove two hours here because they're, they had to have an in-person class. So the way that we did it was he looked at the online Zoom thing. Then he came down here and I gave a quiz. I never gave a quiz when I just taught in person. But with Zoom, and I feel responsible to the towns that, um, that have passed the ordinances that require a class, that I'm not going to say, yeah, um, you know, here, here's your money, okay, and here's the class, and then, okay, I'll give you your certificate, because I have no proof that they watched it. So when I have a Zoom class on my regular, it's called the Basics of Raising Backyard Chickens in the Suburbs, and it covers pretty much everything you would ever need to know. Um, what's involved, they get handouts, they get the link. Then they tell me, they email me back, I saw it. Then they get a quiz because I want to know the most important things. I want to know that they that they actually watched it. So like for one thing, where do you put your where do you put your um, coop in your backyard? Well, sure, under the shade of the tree, near the water, near your composter. It better say according to the ordinance in my town because that's important. You can't just put it any old place the way some of the ordinances are. But I then I grade the quiz, then I send them their certificate, but I also send them a whole copy of the PowerPoint. So it's like getting a booklet kind of thing that they can look things up and they can have it. So, you know, I think it's worthwhile, um, but that's different. So actually I do four classes. I do this one called the Scoop on the Coop. Um, it's about an hour and it's just about the benefits, a little bit about what's involved, um, a little tiny bit about checking the law first and this sort of thing. But it's not anywhere in depth and it doesn't get a certificate. You can't just take the hour class and say, yep, I took the class. Then there's the, the three hour basic class. Then I do the um, a class on um, legalization and I do the class on therapy hens. Okay, great. Okay, well, I wanted to give you the opportunity to um, discuss a common misconception about your work and um, kind of misspell any misconceptions that are out there. I I just, I guess only from what I had said prior about, you know, why some towns think that they're so different than some other town. And, you know, I can show them all the literature of all the backgrounds and demographics of where people have passed ordinances. I mean, that, that kind of really gets to me that, you know, I don't know what they, what they think I'm making this up. I mean, I have all the, the data to show that this works. Um, all these towns is, I guess, probably to ballpark in 15 towns created pilot programs for a couple years and they all had no complaints. So therefore, when the pilot was up, they made it an ordinance. That's got to show that the way this is set up is working. You know, what I'd kind of like to see happen and I don't know that it ever will. And I, I certainly know um, that they'll never create a, a county ordinance because that's the same thing as one town doesn't want to have the same laws as somebody else. It's like Washington again. So, you know, I don't see that my county will create a, 
uh, an ordinance like all towns now will allow backyard chickens and here's the ordinance because they'll be having too much negative feedback like from the town next to me that'll never have it till the guy's not mayor anymore but i would love to see the county come up with some kind of resolution you know now that we have so much evidence i'm going to, in fact i'm kind of looking at at pursuing that after the new year starts and just a just a resolution from the county that says that they support the concept of backyard hens and the way that the programs have been set up and you know encourage other towns that have not changed their law to get with the system um because you know that to me would mean a lot i mean yeah people say is there a state law saying we can have chickens no <laughs> that'll never happen you know towns want to have it their own way and therefore every single town that has that wants to do this um has to go through the process i mean it's it's a lot of work but there is no blanket kind of ordinance thing out there um one of the other things that can be really hard with this and i've have had that happen several times is um that people just go and get chickens either they were misinformed that it was okay or there's a whole lot of people in our town that have chickens so i must be able to have them too and whatever and it turns out they're not legal and then they get um cited for that and in a lot of cases have to rehome their chickens so if nothing else if i can't get the point across enough um I, it just breaks my heart. And I mean, you can even look on the backyard chicken pages and people just say, just do it. It's your right. And it's your right to have this and do this and that. Well, you know, we don't have rights to do everything else. We can't zoom down the road at 100 miles an hour because we have a car. It's the same deal. I mean, there are policies because for some reason they thought it worked. Most of the laws that changed and got things tight like now like before we started changing laws happened after world war ii and the real reason was that we all wanted to have the little backyards with the white picket fences around and you know farms were looked down upon and we all grew up a lot well i grew up a lot far enough away but when you took a sunday drive you could smell farms miles away because thousands of chickens or thousands of pigs we had a count gloucester county had lots and lots of pigs you could walk ride through the town on a sunday in your car and smell farms and so they decided after world war ii that we really wanted to fix that and we wanted all barnyard animals on really on farms like there was one town around here that had to have 30 acres, whether you wanted two chickens or a million chickens, you had to have 30 acres. So when they passed the law and made it like my law, I was ecstatic. That was a biggie because they realized that you don't need 30 acres to have a couple hens. It's absurd. There's still towns that are debating one guy I've been working with that they still are thinking, well, maybe we have to have a half an acre or an acre. It's like, no, you don't. OK, our our law here is not based on size of property. I didn't mention this earlier. It's mentioned it, and it, we have a law review article that we used and every single person has gotten all the towns have gotten a copy of this that says that what the difference is 
is where your coop, where they sleep. They only go in the coop to sleep or to have their eggs. And their attached chicken run, which everything has to be predator-proof. But their run is theoretically like a big dog cage or whatever. And that's where they spend most of their day. Here, we can't let them just run around our yard free range unless an adult's out there with them. Number one, we have all kinds of hawks around here and predators. And we're taking care of our chickens because they're our pets. And that's a big thing, treating them more like pets. So I can't just go let them out and come in and watch TV. If I'm going to let them out, my husband and I went out after lunch and we did our chicken. I did my chicken duties and we watched them for about a half hour. It's cold today. And they ran around, then they go back in. Okay. So it's the location of the coop and run as opposed to the windows and doors of your neighbors. So we have to be 20 feet from the windows and doors of our contiguous neighbors because the study proved that if you keep your coop clean, they're not going to smell it at 20 feet. And that's important. And they're not going to be so loud to disturb the people next door if it's 20 feet away. So we could have tiny yards that go deep, not tiny like across, like width-wise, but maybe we have a deep yard and we can turn things sideways and we could have eight hens. Other people in our other houses in our town never will be able to have more than four hens because that's as big of a coop as they can fit and still meet the criteria. And we go out when they apply for a license and check out their yard and take a measuring tape if we have to, because everything has to be done correctly and it works. But there's no reason for towns to have a, an acre of property or an eight, even a half an acre of property. It depends. It really depends on the amount of chickens and whatever. So getting all those kind of things across are really, really important as well. And um, trying to get rid of these old fashioned ideas because they weren't seen as being great for sustainability. I mean, their droppings make phenomenal fertilizer. They eat insects, they eat ticks and mosquitoes, um, wonderful eggs, of course, and they're pets. So, you know, there's so many wonderful things about them. And um, if everybody would just kind of forget all that background stuff, especially when we've grown up, a lot of us have grown up close enough that you could really smell some of these great big farms. Um, so that's about that. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, on that note, what are some of the biggest things you're looking forward to in the future? Um, I'd really like to find somebody that is local enough to take over my therapy um, work. Um, you know, I certainly still might take mine to my, well, we, we have a pride parade in town. Um, this was our third year and it was really, really special because my group, we have 27 houses in my town now with backyard hens and, um, as well as the, some of the neighboring towns and we had a pickup truck and I got to ride because it was prior to my knee surgery holding one of my therapy hens. And then people were walking behind us with their hens and wagons with little cages attached and everybody was all dialed up. And it, it was just phenomenal. I mean, the, 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 um, 
residents here go crazy because they really do love our chickens, which is amazing. And it gives me goosebumps. So we're walking down the main street of town, big parade. I mean, it's the biggest pride parade in South Jersey. And um, thousands of people are there and marching and everything. And and they're yelling, our chickens, we love our chickens, we love our chickens. And it was so cool because they actually, because um, they knew I was technically retiring from a lot of this stuff, had a, a banner made that had all the towns listed that I helped change. And my picture was on the side of the, of the, the truck. And it just was a super, super special thing, kind of my going out party that I was not going to be doing most of this anymore. But I mean, I would still participate in that if I could and, you know, real local short kind of things. But I just like I said, things have changed and my we're both 75 right now. And, you know, so I just really want to have some time with my with my hens and 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 get other people involved and continue to do some teaching and and uh and i'll be with my chickens forever <laughs> absolutely well you've definitely earned it so enjoy that extra time that you have and kind Thank of you. wrap it up a bit what would you like our audience to know that i haven't thought to ask you is there anything that i missed i don't think so Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, your work is just incredible. And I'm sure there will be many people to take over in the future. And I mean, you've set the stage for so much change. So thank you so much. Thank you, Hannah. It was a pleasure. That was such an inspiring interview. I learned so much and I hope you did too. If you were moved as much as I was and want to support this amazing organization, please visit our website at theanimallawfirm.com and check out our merch page as all profits from merchandise go towards supporting the guests on the show. Or follow the links to donate to this organization directly. If you want to support the podcast, please share us on social media and give us a five-star review. Anything helps. Thanks again for tuning in. Until next time, fellow underdogs.